If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself. But even better, they've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information, all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Wednesday. Wednesday, my friends. Wednesday, the 25th of November. It's the day before Thanksgiving. Okay, we got a new milestone here for the Dow Jones Industrial Average yesterday. Yep, we hit 30,000 for the first time ever. I think there was a book a million years ago that was like Dow 30,000. It only took like multiple years to get there. Uh, I just want to be clear with like how remarkable this is in some respects that this all happens in a year where we have a global pandemic. So, you know, we we were flirting with 30,000 back in February. We dropped below 19,000 in March. 19,000, a third of the value lopped off and now reversing course coming all the way back up to 30,000. What is behind this? I don't know. This could be a little bit of the Yellen trade. And this could be a little bit of the, okay, we finally have the president allowing for the transfer of power that needs to take place. But I really think this has more to do with Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary. And we talked about this yesterday that she's likely to work hand in hand with Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve. So I think that this is a a sign, at least to me, that the investment community kind of likes this overall. Doesn't say anything about the economy. We're still in, you know, sort of weird times because of lockdowns throughout the country. But for now, we'll take a new milestone, 30,000, first time ever. Okay, so let's get to the program. Let's start with Angela, who says, Hi, Jill, love the podcast. I will soon be selling my house for about $350,000, as well as my parents' house that I had inherited for an additional $350,000. Wow. Okay, so I currently own a second home in a mountain town, and I want to relocate there. I would like to buy acreage and build my dream home. I anticipate the cost to be, oh, miraculously, the exact same amount of money, the $700,000, the proceeds from both homes. I can live in the vacation second home while the dream home is being built. My main question, putting everything else aside, should I use the cash from the sale of both houses to buy the acreage outright, or should I utilize a mortgage while rates are so low and invest the home sale proceeds in a brokerage account? Thanks. 
Well, Angela, you know, I don't know a lot about you. So, so it's hard for me to say. I would generally advise that you not pay for this in cash, this new home, and that you should use a mortgage. As you said, mortgage rates, they're basically near all-time lows. You can leverage this asset. You can really keep a good handle on your liquidity, meaning keep enough money uh, set aside. I think this would be a good thing to do. Now, that said, if you're not telling me other things that are in your life that I should know about, then you got to follow up. For example, do you have like $10 million sitting in another account and this is just fun money? So I think that the, the best advice that we could give you would be use a mortgage as little down as you need to. I think that it may be harder to get the uh, mortgage on the acreage itself. So you're going to have to talk to a mortgage person or an institution about this. So good luck. I'm glad that you're able to uh, give us a shout on this one because I really don't want you to pay cash for it. Okay, next. Cheryl writes, hi, Jill. A week or more ago, you made a statement to one of your listeners asking a question. He said that he had a, quite a bit of money stored in a deposit box at the bank. You said, well, that was not a good idea. And if you were going to do that, you should store it at home, period. No explanation why home versus bank. I need more details. In the last five years, my husband lost both of his parents. At the time of their deaths, cash was needed to pay the estate bills. What do you mean cash was needed to pay the estate bills? Cash, cash? Cash money? That's strange. But anyway, we're going to get to that in a second. Also, when his father died and his mother who had dementia was alive, he needed access to quick cash to pay her nursing home bills. The cash on hand was a huge help. When they were both gone, all accounts were frozen. His estate bills were higher than we felt comfortable spending our own money. It took over two years to settle. We were so happy to have cash to pay expenses during that time. My husband and I are now putting some cash into our deposit box so that if and when we die, my daughter won't have to spend her own money to pay expenses. Oh, and these expenses are things that are ongoing. Please tell me your thoughts why you made the statement you did. Okay, it's keeping me up at night. She says, not really. I just want to know your thoughts. Okay, first of all, uh, Cheryl also signs it a fellow hand washer. So good for you, Cheryl. Okay, number one, if a bank actually closes, you can't get to your money. Meaning that if your bank were to go under and the FDIC were to kind of take over, you can't get to your cash, your safe deposit box. Number two, amid a pandemic, you don't get the reason why a cash in a safe deposit box is a bad idea. I mean, you may not want to go into a building. Number three, why cash cash? Why not just having money in an account? I don't understand that. Why do you need it as like cash unless this is ill-gotten gains, which I understand. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that I don't know why you would want that much cash as opposed to just having it in an account where you could access it and pay bills electronically. We may be missing something. So you can follow up with us. We'll be happy to talk to you. Okay. Stephen writes, that uh, he's 62, he's got a little savings, the result of divorce and simultaneous unemployment in my 50s. Oh, that's terrible. Um, Steven says, can you offer an insight into how I should think about retirement or not? I have a modest pension from a former employer and a social security benefit. And my son is a freshman in college. Well, I mean, the way to think about retirement is that I hope that your modest pension and your social security cover your needs. That's about it. There's nothing else you can do. And to some extent, this is situational. It stinks. But if anything, I would be trying to get some sort of part-time gig and hopefully be able to get yourself afloat. 
you can't think about, you know, planning for retirement if you're in a situation where a disaster has struck and it has for you. Give me some more details. Do you own a home? Do you not? Is there something? Are there any other accounts? Are there any IRA accounts? Any a little bit more info and then maybe we can help you out. I'll tell you one thing. Whatever that kid is doing in college, you can't help right now. You got to take care of yourself. Oh, this is one of my favorite subjects, lottery winnings. Okay, first of all, I got so excited because I thought this person hit the lottery, but they did not because Mononymous says, I've been planning for what I would do if I want a significant jackpot, something greater than $100 million. Okay, I've calculated my needs, taxes, gifts, travel. I'd like to give the rest to a private foundation that I'd manage as my life work. My question, how much of a buffer beyond my projected needs should I keep outside of the foundation so that I'm protected? 50% of what I need, 25%, 100%. I'm 50 years old, so planning for several decades. Boy, is this magical thinking, huh, Mark? This is great. Okay. So I actually, in my past as a financial planner, had a client who hit the lottery, $80 million. And you do the exact same thing that you would have done previous, which is you get any sort of lump sum, you work your way backwards. How much do you need on an ongoing basis? You make sure you pull the money aside that can generate what your needs are, and then the rest can go into a foundation. I love the question. Very upbeat. I mean, really. That is a glass half full person, right? I always say like, what would happen if my life would fall apart and disaster would ensue? (laughs) Mark knows this about me. I have the, okay, pack your jewelry, get your cash. And what happens if you have to leave the country fast? That's my question always. Like, you know, someone is invaded and wants to like put you in a, a, a place that's terrible. Now what? Okay. Bill writes this. Hi, Jill. My wife and I are 63, and my wife's not a person to manage financial accounts if I were not around. Not her strong suit. Okay. We've been with our financial advisor at a major firm for more than 30 years. He has not retired yet, but he just turned 70. Mm, Interesting. We need to plan for how we would deal with the change. I feel like it would be wrong to pull all of our money out, almost betraying him. I know it's silly. He's a great person and an advisor. He's fairly conservative. He understands how we think. We trust him. I hate the thought of starting over. We've got 90% of our investments at that firm. We pay a very reasonable management fee of 0.65% annually. He pays for um, himself by keeping me from reacting emotionally if I were managing the money directly. How do we approach the pending change? Hey, this is a great question. I think you talk to the advisor. You know, one of the cool things about having an advisor is that it's an intimate relationship. And the intimacy is really about talking about your hopes, your dreams, and your worries. So I think it's fair to say to the advisor, here's the situation. We're worried about this. We are worried about your succession. So what we would like is for you to start to bring somebody else in who can help us in the event that something bad happened to you. And that should be something that the advisor himself is thinking about, right? I mean, this is just smart in terms of running a business. And if they're at a major firm, the firm will want to do that also. So I think you talk to the advisor about it. That to me is your best bet. Okay. Uh, it's a great question, by the way. It really is. I'm glad that you had, had the wherewithal to consider this because it really, to me, makes a ton of sense that you are understanding that you don't want to manage the money yourself and your wife doesn't want to start a relationship with someone new. But, you know, we'd rather start that relationship with someone new within the firm and try to bridge the gap. 
So I think that's what makes sense to me. And if the advisor is reluctant to do that, then I think you're going to have to, you have a harder decision. You may want to say, we'd like to talk to younger people at the firm or bring someone else in, or you might want to just start interviewing people and yeah, start over. I mean, it sucks, but you know, hopefully the advisor is willing to at least consider your options a little bit more. Okay. I hope that helps. Mark, I cannot believe it. Day before Thanksgiving. It just is too much for me. I think that we're all going to be on lockdown pretty much through the end of the year. And so what that means is this. We are here for you. We are not going to stop broadcasting every single day, seven days a week. And we want you to help us spread the word. We want you to realize that we are going to walk through this period of time hand in hand with you, help you with your financial decisions, help you with any of the year-end stuff that's going on, but we can only do that if you contact us. So please send an email, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. And you can always go to the website, jillonmoney.com. We've got a contact button on the website. A few things to note. We've got a free weekly newsletter, comes out every Friday. Mark does an awesome job doing that. So do it. And we also have a way to subscribe to the podcast. So if someone passed this along to you and you want to subscribe or you want to send the podcast to somebody else and tell them to subscribe, go ahead and do that. Please leave a rating. Please leave a review. Mark has put the the gauntlet down. He wants a thousand reviews by the end of the year. We're oh so close. So we really would appreciate that. As always, more than ever, please wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain that physical distancing, and why not put your hands metaphorically on someone's back? Do something nice for someone else today, okay? Even the day before Thanksgiving, do it, all right? Thanks so much for listening. We're gonna have a great guest for tomorrow and Friday. We'll talk to you then. Bye.